Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Morning, everyone. I'm driving a laptop today, not because I'm really good with technology. I can't work the printer. And, and that's it. We've been... Um, full confession. <laughs> We've been um, quarrying through the book of John which is awesome, love the book of John, and I think Mindy alluded to it last, last week, um, you know, the Bible starts with, in the beginning, God, and so the book of John starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, no nativity scenes, no fluffy woolly lambs punsing about the place, if we're going to tell the story, let's get to the story and start, that's what I like about John, he gets to, gets to the heart of it, and we're still in the upper room. So just in case you're wondering where the geography is, in chapter 14, we're still in the upper room. This is, I think, the fourth discourse of Jesus, and it's one of his biggest discussions, and it's, it's one of the best because he's not speaking to the crowds or the Pharisees or even the 70. This is the disciples in the upper room. It's deep. It's intimate. And from this section we get some of the greatest nuggets of our faith, don't we? There's some wonderful stuff to be had here. Except, when we kick off chapter 14, he starts with, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, they've been celebrating the Passover, but as far as dinner party etiquette goes, you sort of want your dinner parties to go okay. And, you know, what are the general rules? Don't, don't mention politics. Don't mention religion. Well, that's going to happen, isn't it? And, you know, you probably want to not mention about being betrayed and dying. And then if someone tries to stand up for you and says, that's not going to happen, I'm going to stand in the way, which is Peter, and Jesus has to say to him, look, full confession, Peter, you're going to have a bit of an altercation with a chicken coming up and you're going to lose. So... I'm just going to not look to you at the moment. And pastors have been killing chickens ever since. <laughs> they're, they're worried. They feel that this amazing trip for three years is, is finishing. They're anxious. But what I love about this first verse, do not let your hearts be troubled. It's a command. It's a gentle command, but it's a command. And to me, as someone who does worry and does get anxious from time to time, it says, you know what? You can control that. On some level, in the right circumstances, you can actually control your emotions. Now, it's very unhelpful when I'm in a state of panic or worry and someone says to me, stop it, which is what my mother might have said, but we won't go there. Um, but when Jesus said it, he wouldn't give me that sort of command or you that sort of command if we didn't have the ability to fulfill that command. And he goes on to unpack it a little bit here. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. You've been with me for three years. Done the walking on, <coughs> excuse me, done the walking on water thing. We've raised the dead, healed the sick, fed a whole lot of people, cast out demons. You know me. You know where I'm from. You know my ability. That should knock out a lot of your troubled heart. So that's a pretty good start. 
better have that drink. Just splashed it up my left nostril, but <laughs> it's just a full disclosure day, isn't it? <laughs> Something else he encourages us with. He goes on in verse 2, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? This is the second reason why you don't need to worry, have that troubled heart. Because he tells you your final destination. You're going to spend eternity in a perfect place with him, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. So that helps you to shift your focus off the circumstances now when you know eternity is unpacked back there. And what a relational way that he describes it. He doesn't say, we're going to heaven, MLC. Click on your safety belts. He says, we're going back to dad's house. You're my brothers and sisters. We're going to dad's house. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You. For you. It's personal. Now, if you stayed at my house, you would have, you can assume that you're going to have some, um, a hot shower and something to eat and probably a bed there. But this is Jesus saying this, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, if you were building a new house and GJ Gardner said to you, we can do everything on your list, it's going to take 2,000 years though. You'd be a little bit upset, but you think, well, it's going to be spectacular by the end. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went back to the Father to prepare a place for you. He's the Son of God. He's also a carpenter. Can you imagine the place <laughs> that he's going to unpack for you? Now, this is basically, you'll see the, uh, sorry, if we go back one, there's the picture of the new Jerusalem. Now, this is the eternal state. This is after the thousand-year reign, the millennial kingdom. This is the eternal place. This is basically the capital city. The new Jerusalem, Revelation tells us in 21, will come down to earth. And it's absolutely massive. The Bible tells us there's 12 furlongs, which is like 2,225 kilometers each side and straight up. Not sure how the cube thing works, but we'll, we'll find that out. This is just the capital city. Basically 15,000 times the size of London. And it's not scriptural, but a mathematician actually calculated this, uh, Henry Morris, said if 25% of this is residential, this place that Jesus is going to prepare for you, if only 25% is residential, and they packed 20 billion believers from throughout time into it, your place which translates best as an apartment, not a mansion, sorry if you thought you were getting a mansion, it's an apartment, but it would be seven acres. <laughs> Imagine doing the cleaning. No. <laughs> this is a really special place, and this is why we can have confidence. Who came in with the worries this morning, and now you're thinking, I've got seven acres in that place, and I'm really not worried about the problems? It's like that. That's why he said it. We don't need to worry. We don't need to worry. Let's continue on. Verse 3. And I go and prepare a place for you. Sorry, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Notice this isn't Jesus returning 
at the end of time, the second coming to judge the world. Because he's not saying, I'm coming back so that I can be where you are. He's saying, I'm coming back so you can be where I am. Where's Jesus? He's in heaven. So he's taking us back there. Take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus is talking about, this is a beautiful metaphor for the Jewish marriage system. So if you found that special girl, you would get your family, maybe your dad, maybe your older brother, to petition that girl's father and say, look, what do you think here? Uh Uh-huh. And then they would discuss a bride price. And if everything was good and was going ahead, you get excited, you go back to your dad's place and you'd prepare a place for her. You would literally build a room on the back of your father's house. And then after the marriage, you would take your bride there. So it's this beautiful, beautiful metaphor. But for me, what is so compelling about the Christian faith I'm a school teacher, I've never left school. I still haven't got year five right. Um, But you know what school relationships are like? Hey, you know that girl over there? She likes you. Oh, does she like me or does she like me? She likes you. Do you like her? I do. Do you like her or do you like her? I like her. I'll go and tell her for you. And the interesting thing is, I met my wife in school. When I, was, when I was director of studies, no, I was head of middle school, and she was my boss, my boss's former personal assistant. And she visited the school, and that was the first time I saw her. So we didn't do it that way, we did it in a more mature way. And I just knew she was the one from the beginning. I don't think she did, but I managed to convince her. But after a couple of weeks, I told her I loved her. After three months, I proposed. Three months later, we were married. So I didn't know her here. Six months later, we're we're married. And what I learned was this. If you love someone, you really love someone, you don't send your friend. And if you love someone, you don't send a member of your family to tell them. If you love someone, you don't send a prophet to tell them. If you really love someone, you go yourself. And Jesus loved me, and he came from heaven to earth to tell me and to tell you. What other religion does that? Beautiful. Okay. Just work on the technology. Okay. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, because Jesus said, you know where I'm going? Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And I love Thomas because i got so many kids in my class that don't understand the instructions. They've got no idea what to do. You get it, guys? You're right to go? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And they sit there. Thomas is that person, that special person in the class that asks the question that no one else has the courage to ask. And I always say to my class, ask the stupid question because that stops you doing the stupid thing if you have the answer to the stupid question. He asks the question. At the end of time, 
maybe in the New Jerusalem, you see him, give him a hug and just say, thank you for 14, John 14 verse 5. You know the best thing about John 14 verse 5? It gives us John 14 verse 6. Why do we have John 14 verse 6? Because he asked the question in verse 5. Wow, and what an answer. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have the nugget of the gospel that so many missionaries and people that have stood on soapboxes for the last hundred years, they have it now because he asked that question. What a wonderful, wonderful question. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in that single comment, Jesus wiped out the possibility of any other belief system in the world except for Christianity. Bit narrow-minded, isn't it, though? Kind of set in his ways, not really forward-thinking. But I've learned as a maths teacher and a science teacher, you know, there are some things that are just set. You know, water is one of the most intolerant things that there are. It always freezes at zero degrees. It always boils at 100 degrees. Just any place on the planet, it does that. There's just no sense of, I want to do something new. And, you know, (laughs) two plus three equals five. I check it every year before I go into the maths class. It's always five. It's never four. (laughs) It's never six. What about the other numbers? I've got some friends who like to visit me in Newcastle. And on their first trip, they always say, how do we get to Newcastle? And I say to them, you can take any road you want. What makes you feel good? What I want you to do is to be true to yourself. You just go whichever way you want. And they don't make it. (laughs) But we want to get to our final destination, don't we? So sometimes we just need to follow, follow the route. And Jesus is the best travel guide there is because he's been in heaven, he came to earth and then he went from earth back to heaven. He knows the way back to the Father. He is the way. He's not an instruction book how to get somewhere. He's not the Gregory's as you're driving. He's he's not the GPS. He's not even the Uber. He is actually the way. I had a very good friend of mine who was a, a former chaplain and he told me this story about visiting a young man in hospital, a young Christian man who was passing away in his early 20s and his Christian family were around him and they were singing the songs and they were crying and hugging and, and doing all those sorts of things and then after a while it became very quiet and he closed his eyes for a moment and then this young man said, I see Jesus. And there was another 30 seconds went past. And then this smile appeared on his face. And he said, he's got me. And he passed away at that moment. Because Jesus is the way. He just took him like that. And I thought, I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to getting to heaven. Not looking forward to the process so much. But... When I hear stories like that, I think maybe dying is just a change in geography. Maybe that's it, when Jesus is the way. Okay. 
Jesus continues in verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, another good person to have in the class, said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And it certainly would be enough. It's like Philip saying, you talk so much about the Father and I know we're going to live by faith, but just show him to us. And Jesus, of course, is, um, I guess he's a bit frustrated because it's been three years and he wants to understand. As Mindy was saying last week, the whole book is about Jesus is God. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And what I thought I might do is I'm going to jump to 1 John, because this gives us an inkling of where the disciples are after this process. Do they understand who Jesus really is? So I'm just going to skip over some verses and go to 1 John. Beautiful. 1 John was written by John, as the book of John was written by John. Both the author was John, so just in case you didn't know that. But listen to what he says here. Unpacks it so well. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, it came to earth. We have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Yeah they get it they get it in the end it takes a while with some classes but that's okay verse 12 jesus says very truly i tell you whoever believes in me will do the works i have been doing and they will even do even greater things than these that bothers me a lot does that bother you at all you will do greater things than me and I'm thinking casting out demons, walking on water. Um, anyone done that? Just show of hands. Okay, how do, how do you do better than that? I, I know that many of the Jewish people are looking for the Messiah to still come, but what will that Messiah do? I think that person who thinks he's the Messiah will be in a difficult spot. What can you do greater than what Jesus has already done? Come on, guys, look, I'm doing the walk and I'm bored. Oh, it's been done. I'll raise that. No, it's been done. It's all been done. What a tough gig. But what can we do that is greater? I think the key is in the next little bit, because I am going to the Father. That's the key. What happens when Jesus goes away? He says later on, I don't want to give it away, but he says, I, I go away so I can send the comforter. I can send the helper. I can send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. And what's the difference? Well, Jesus paid the price on the cross. Everything that is done, worthy is the Lamb. God can now start to unpack His plan to redeem creation in right relationship to Himself. But Jesus was one person in one place and He didn't really go outside the bounds of Israel. After He goes, Pentecost, 3,000 people with the Holy Spirit come to a belief in that good news in the next few months tens of thousands 
in the next few decades, millions of people around the world. You will do greater things. Doesn't mean you're going to have more power. You're not going to actually do greater things. You're going to do, it's going to be greater in number. And that's what we're called to do. Take out the good news. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Remember that is attached to the previous verse. The verse is saying, you will do greater things than me because you have the Holy Spirit. Each of you has a deposit of the Holy Spirit and you can go out and do the work that I was doing, the kingdom work. You can take it out further. In the context of that, whatever you ask, I will do. Not necessarily the Ferrari, but if, it's, if you're asking for souls, if you're asking for hearts to be softened, that's what Jesus will do in your name. The disciples were troubled in that upper room because they thought, three years and it's all over. And Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying, this isn't the end. This is the beginning. You will pick up what I've been doing and you will take it out in greater works. I, I haven't raised the dead. Smith Wigglesworth has 14 cases of the dead being raised. And you know what? When his wife died, he went to raise her. And she said, Smithy, let me go. And I'll just paraphrase for her, but I reckon she might have been thinking, I want to see the place Jesus has prepared for me. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm ready to see what he's done for me. I want to see heaven. So, you know, if I ever have a heart attack up here on stage, don't resuscitate me. I will haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Let me go. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. And in particular, this, this discourse in the, in the upper room during the Passover between the 11. Lord, so deep, so rich, so powerful, such wonderful verses that we can base our lives upon. Father, we, we thank you that you say, do not let your hearts be troubled. That we, we can control things. We have the ability to fulfill that command. We have the ability to control our emotions. All we have to do is to remember back who you are, what you can do, the power that you have been given from the Father. And that we have an eternal place with you. A perfect place where you have wiped away every tear. And Jesus... You are the way. You are the only way. I'm actually, when I read the Gospels, I'm reminded of the words of my old mentor, and he used to say, there are five Gospels, Fraser. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And the first four are dead. So what are you going to do? Will you take their words and run with it? Jesus, you made a way to the Father. You are the only way to the Father. And it's now our responsibility to forge a way for your kingdom to move ahead 
And as your word says, you will do whatever we ask in your name. We will do greater things than you because we have the ability now to reach so many people in such a short space of time. Lord, give us that heart for mission, that heart for the go to further that way. And then through what you did on the cross, you can bring them back to the Father's house. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit mccroylifechurch.com.au.